Bookshop, the George Street Community Bookshop podcast for book lovers everywhere. Hello and welcome to In the Bookshop, a podcast about books recorded in an actual bookshop. I'm your host for this edition, I'm Simon Galloway, and wearing George Street Community Bookshop in Glossop, and to put that on the map for you, that's in the uh, northwest corner of Derbyshire. And uh, you might think that that's the Midlands, but no, it's, it's, it's up north really. And it's, it's also the gateway to the Dark Peak. The uh, sign at the train station tells you that when you get off the train. Um, but like I say, it's, it's definitely up north. We're just a couple of miles from the uh, border of Greater Manchester and uh, we're f- actually further north than Sheffield. So uh, geography lesson over. Um, the idea of the podcast is to invite people to the bookshop to have a good rummage around, browse the shelves and pick out a few books that mean something to them and then discuss them. Our guest today is Steve Roberts, a songwriter and musician, a Cold War obsessive, and the man who was responsible for getting the ball rolling and bringing the shop that we're in right now into community ownership. Uh, Welcome, or should I say thank you, for welcoming me into the shop. Uh, So before we get stuck into your pile of books there, just want to talk a bit about where the idea came from for making this shop into a community bookshop. Well, I think it was in January of this year, on Facebook, a post popped up saying for sale, George Street Books for sale. And it's a, it's a great bookshop. There's 25,000 books in here, all of them secondhand. And I've always visited this bookshop and bought from this bookshop. It's anyway, been here quite a number of years, hasn't it? It's been here for at least 20, possibly even longer. And it, a post popped up on Facebook saying it was for sale. And I said to my wife, oh, I'd, I'd love to buy a bookshop. And she was like, you can't buy a bookshop. But other people were having a similar kind of thought as well because who wouldn't want to own a bookshop? But they're not really commercial ventures nowadays, I don't think, second-hand bookshops. So some of the people who expressed an interest I knew, we knew each other from around town, and we got together. And one of one of the, uh, the, the people involved, Jonathan, Jonathan Atkinson, has been involved with cooperatives, setting up cooperatives in, in various forms. And it was suggested perhaps we could buy it as a cooperative with the eventual aim to issue shares to the community and it would then become a community-owned bookshop, an asset for the community. So that's what we're doing. Are there any other community bookshops out there? There are a number of them. It's becoming more common. Uh, Ones I know of, uh, mostly, I think, uh, there's a couple Devon Way. I've got a feeling there's one in Lincolnshire. There's uh, one up in the northeast. Um, There are a lot of pubs that are community-owned. More and more of the high streets are starting to follow this model as all types of shops and all retail and are finding it hard to, to make money. Everything's so expensive now with rates and rent. And then there's for a place like a bookshop, there's uh, the internet to contend with. So if it's not really a commercial uh, venture as such, you're not going to make a lot of money. Uh, but it's an asset to a town that you live in. People coming together to own a bookshop and to ensure that it keeps running and other, and other um, places, it, it, it seems to be the logical step to, you know, to take, really. And what are your future plans for, for the shop? Well, the, the first one is to get the shop into community ownership. And once we do that and we raise capital, we can, as you'll see, the, the shop is literally packed. It's like, imagine dry stone walls. That's how this, all the books here are put together. Uh, it's it's packed. It's absolutely packed. We need more modern shelving. We need nice lighting. We need spaces. We need to be able to 
to find space we want to have authors coming in to talk at the moment there's no space for them to do that we want all book clubs of course but then creative writing and story time and after school clubs for kids and you know we just want the the space to be used um, for people to have books in, as part of their everyday lives for it to be normal you know uh, so let's get stuck into your um, pile of books that you've got there then uh, where do you want to start uh, well I'll start with George Orwell um, keep the Aspidistra flying the hero the anti-hero George Comstock or Gordon Comstock it works in a bookshop <laughs> and uh, you know he's, he's miserable as most bookshop <laughs> people who work in bookshops are meant to be I suppose um, and I, I, I love George Orwell George Orwell was like my first I'd say my first grown-up reading, and uh, it was an English teacher at at school. I didn't really get on at school. I didn't like it. It seemed to get in the way. Uh, but uh, my English teacher was great, and uh, he encouraged us, you know, to read what we wanted to read. And I read 1984, which I thought was amazing, and still think is amazing. Uh, and so I just completely got into George Orwell. And when I first started working in Liverpool. I was just off, um, right in the city centre, uh, by Castle Street in Liverpool, which is where the town hall is, and there was a bookshop there. I think it was Philip's son and nephew, I can't remember now. But anyway, it was a bookshop there, and I would spend, I would either go there or go to Probe Records, which is a record shop. But he, every day I, I'd go there, and they had all the, these wonderful Penguin editions of George Orwell's books, and I started, uh, as you can see, this is falling to bits, um, I started buying all the Orwell books, and I love the idea that the Aspidistra, which is, a, if you don't know, is a plant that was a, in the mid early mid twentieth century. Every respectable home would have one in the window because it would last forever. You didn't you didn't have to look after it really, but it was a sign that you had green fingers. And everywhere that Gordon Comstock stays in his descent into hell or into bedsit land. Um, he uh, he encountered aspidistras and he grew to hate them and became a symbol of his failure. And I, I love the book. It's witty, which George Orwell's not particularly known for his wit, uh, but it's a very witty book. And it's a very real, real book. War's on the way and they can smell it in the air. They know it's coming. It might even be relevant now. I hope not. Well, this is the thing. People keep coming back to, to George Orwell's books. Time, you know, not just 1984, but other things that he's, he's done a, as well. He's a meme, isn't he? And he's very quotable because he, he writes um, he writes simply, elegantly, but simply. He doesn't. He, you don't have to look up words when you're reading a George Orwell book. You you, you know, if you if you just kind of had a, a, a general education like I had, you can understand George Orwell. But he had the knack of putting these simple words into into sentences that resonated, I think. And I think that's why people keep coming back to him as well. And also he's very... Um, he, he, he could write about making a cup of tea and he could um, he could do a 20-page essay on, on the right way to make a cup of tea and it would all be in simple words. And he, his novels are like that as well. They're simple but engaging and, and so that's... George Orwell so keep up the Aspidistra fly might not be his best one and I'm, I'm not even sure what his best one is I love you know because I love everything that he's done really some more than others of course but George Orwell as a whole should be read by everybody and keep the Aspidistra flying just seems perfect for somebody who's working in a bookshop and is getting grumpier by the day <laughs> <laughs> right what's next in your pile um Gore Vidal 
This is a is called United States Essays, nineteen fifty two to nineteen ninety two, and Gore Vidal, of course, is is a famed or was a famed wit. He was a kind of Anglophile um, posh bloke um, from the good old U.S. of A. But he was a, he's a complete utter radical. He started off writing uh, short novel novellas almost. And he was a very well connected person. Uh, his family well connected. And I found all his early novels when I went to Australia years ago. I got some family in Australia we went visiting. And in a second-hand bookshop in Sydney, I found like ten kind of short novels by uh, Covidal, which which were not particularly political, because I'd first encountered him through his essays and his journalism and uh, and also Maida Breckenbridge, which is a, a transgender book, I suppose you could call it. Uh, but this th these essays... Uh, he he likes to think he gives a, uh, is it what do they call it in America the president's address, the uh, state of the nation address. Well, this book is state of the nation of forty years of of the United States, and it's it's caustic, it's insightful, it's radical. Um, he doesn't give a damn. He'll say you know, does it, if if you go on YouTube, have a look at him discussing, uh, or arguing rather with Norman Mailer. It's brilliant. He takes Norman Mailer to the cleaners, although Mailer obviously thinks he's taken Govidal to the cleaners. But nobody takes Govidal to the cleaners. So United States collected essays just because it's so big and the other books all come to an end and this book never seems to come to an end. And by the time you got to the end, you can start again, you know. His his history books, his, the noise history books, uh, uh, historical fiction, are mind-blowing. His books are just wonderful. So it's Gore Vidal. Every home should have Gore Vidal, and I'd recommend his essays, really. There's a quote in here when he's talking about why he's an atheist, uh, and I used it, I had an album out a couple of years ago, well, more than a couple of years ago now, called Shake It, Make It, and Don't Fake It, and I did a fake newspaper that went inside with all lyrics on it, and I stole a quote from here, from this book, when he was talking about atheism, and he was saying that uh, he was quite happy that there was no God. He said, because this is all there is and all the more reason for us to look after it. You know, this is enough. Look after it because there's nothing else. You know, your belief in God is going to ruin the world. And I, I believe him completely. So I, I, lo I love that. Right. What's next? This is Foundation, Isaac Asimov. And this is the original trilogy, Foundation, Foundation and Empire and Second Foundation. Um, this is a collection. I read all the books individually uh, first, and Asimov Foundation book started in uh, science fiction magazines as short stories about the future. You know what the, what would happen in the future, and everybody loved them so much they were they were turned into novels. Uh, and after years and years of, of fans wanting more and more and more of Foundation, he he wrote preludes and sequels and all the rest of it but this this is the original foundation foundation and empire and second foundation and it tells the story of uh, the psycho historian harry selden who by using a type of mathematics could foretell the fall of the galactic empire and the chaos that would uh, would happen in the ten thousand years that it would take to fall and for a new empire to take its place and he thought he could he by the use of psycho history which is uh, uh is almost like saying if you've got billions of people, you can predict 
what it is they will do under different circumstances. And so he uses this to predict how uh, he could manoeuvre the populations to accept that a new galaxy-wide uh, empire would be a good thing. Maybe it's about the EU, I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> but again, uh, Asimov is another writer uh, like uh, George Orwell, who's eminently quotable. And again, it's because he, he writes in very simple language. Again, I mean, you, have to, you, you don't have to look up words because he makes them up. And psychohistory, for example. But uh, all the other stuff in there. He, Asimov came up with the, the three laws of robotics, which I, I can't remember the full quotes for them now, but there's three laws of why a robot will never turn against its human masters. Um, because in their sonotronic brain, is that how you, how you pronounce it? Um, these law robotics are implanted in the software in the brain. So maybe that's people who are now making robots should hopefully read <laughs> Isaac Asimov so we will not be taken over by robots. Asimov's, uh, Asimov's genius and his name's fantastic. Okay. Yeah. Book number, what's that? One, two, three, book number, number four. four. This is uh, The Burglar Who Painted Like Mondrian by Lawrence Block. Lawrence Block um, is an American writer who I, I first got into in the early 90s, and it was his Matt Scudder series. And Matt Scudder, it was very dark. It was a uh, ex-cop, ex-NYPD cop who'd gone off the rails drinking, was an alcoholic, and had become an unlicensed PI, and, you know, and would save pretty women who came up to him in bars with a problem, you know, and that kind of thing. Always trying not to to drink because it would all go wrong for him and they were very very they're very very serious and heavy but really interesting books and I was so uh, astonished when I found out that Lawrence Block had originally started writing books under uh, uh, female names and they were all like erotic kind of like lesbian uh, books and and uh, all different kinds of slightly perverted kind of sexual practices. I was astonished that he'd written all these books and he did it in the in the forties, you know, Penny Dreadfuls, you know, whatever. They were all uh, I couldn't believe it. But all all of the books are, are great, even if you're not particularly into lesbian love triangles, um, or if, you know, particularly if you are. But my favourite of his, he's got a he's got a. This is the second bookshop owner uh, or bookshop worker out of the books. That we're talking about, of course, yeah, Gordon Comstock yeah. from the Asp Keep the Aspidist Flying worked in bookshop, and in this one, uh, Bernie Rodenbar owns a bookshop bookstore in New York uh, by day, but by night he's a burglar. But he's a gentleman burglar. He 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 never he never leaves a mess. He won't go in and, and throw your knickers all over the all over the floor, and you know. But he's all of these books are kind of all the same, but all of them are different. Uh, in this book, it's a Mondrian, a Mondrian the, the artist who, who does those kind of square, uh, different square coloured blue, yellow, white, that kind of thing. That's that's not very artistic of me, is it? Uh, and he steals one of his paintings. But while he's stealing them, something else happens. And it happens in all the books, something else happens. There'll be a dead body there when he gets there. Or or somebody will catch him and some, you know something will happen. And... Um, He's got, a, a, I suppose, an antagonist or, or an unlikely kind of ally in a New York copper, uh, the, the best policeman money can buy, as he describes him, um, who always says, Bernie, I know you'll sort this out. You're not a killer. I know you'll sort this out and we'll make some money out of it. And he always does. But his, la his language 
is it, oh, he writes again with simply but hilariously and with insights and I, I I don't quite know what to say because he's he's a master. His bad guy is a good guy and one of the one of the best. You want to go you want to go out and have coffee with Bernie Rodenbar, you know. This is Rodenbar's son. You want to go out uh, and they're delightful. And I've read everything by Lawrence Block. I was gonna I could I could have brought thirty books by Lawrence Block, uh, but I bought uh, the burglar books because I'd I'd get so much pleasure out of his burglar series and I would. Uh, We've got, I think we've got three of them left in the shop. There's, there's about ten of them. He's also got a Hitman series, Keller, who's, who's a Hitman, uh, who collects stamps. So when he, when he, uh, when he goes, say he's, go, he, he's sent to Chicago to go and rub somebody out, and he, he, he does it without malice. It's, it's his job, you know. He does it without malice when he goes, he goes to Chicago, and while he's staking out the, the person he's going to bump off. He'll go to the local flattery society or the, the you know stamp shops, and he'll buy stamps, and he you know that's how he relaxes in between killing people, and it, again it's just brilliant. I just love everything about Lawrence Block. I highly recommend it. <laughs> so next in your pile, next in your pile, is Jean Le Carré. Jean Le Carré, the spy who came in from the cold. Um, oh, I, you know, Le Carré, as I said, I'm a Cold War obsessive and John Le Carre is is the master of, of Cold War fiction and I think The Spy Who Came In From The Cold is his greatest book so um, the British are in West Berlin of course so the Americans and French and in East Berlin are the Russians and the British have got a sleeper who's a, a Russian who's working for them uh, and they try and get him out and it goes wrong and so they want revenge or particularly the character in this, Alex... Oh God, oh my, I've forgotten his name now. Uh, Alex Lemas wants revenge. He, he wants to know what happened. He wants to know who sold the mouse, you know. And so he defects to Russia to find out. But the Russians, of course, are very, very wary of this guy because they know who he is. They know he was a master uh, spy. And um, he ends up in Russia trying to find out exactly what happens and it's quite quite a complex quite a complex book. Le Carre is not he's not like Fleming, where there's all action and there's girls. There's a girl in this book, but the girl is there's a it's a lot more respectful. The relationships that go on in 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 this book. Um, Smiley, George Smiley, who's um, Le Carre's uh, most famous character, is in involved in this book, but he's not the main character. Alex Lemus is. Um, the politics are, are, of the day are uh, investigated in, in quite a lot of detail, and Le Carre doesn't necessarily come down against the Soviet Union, you know, and neither do, is he totally for the British establishment. He knows that the British establishment is swine, you know, and he knows that the Soviet establishment is swine as well, you know, and they're all swine. And um, so, again, I could have picked any. John Le Carre book, his, his, his latest books, as soon when the Berlin Wall came down, people thought that would be the end of Le Carre. But he's got more radical and more left-wing, I suppose. His latest novels, say, over the past decade, are really angry, angry against the, the West and for what's happened since uh, the wall came down and, you know, the Soviet Union stopped as being kind of just a slightly honest 
now that the it's just gung ho money making lunatics in you know in charge of everything whereas before there was a bit of mm, if we do this the people might like the russians you know um so john le carré the spy who came in for the cold the film's great as well with richard burton it's brilliant richard burton is brilliant uh, in it and your next uh, book there on the pile this is philip roth and it's american pastoral and now i, I, I philip roth died what about six months ago was it maybe not even that philip roth his um, his anti-hero Nathan Zuckerman, and Philip Roth is a very Jewish writer. His characters, he writes from a Jewish perspective. He, he writes about the Jewish experience of America, particularly America of uh, the fifties, sixties, seventies. So I don't think I've read every book of his. Portnoy's Complaint was his possibly his most well-known book. But he was known as being and them being sexy books with a bit of you know Jewish history. Uh, but somewhere in the eighties, I think he started getting angry as well. And American Pastoral is about the death of the American dream, I suppose the death of American Pastoral. Uh, it's the sixties; people are radicalized. Nathan Zuckerman, his character, is telling the story of another uh, character uh, whose whose life falls to pieces. The guy has got it all. He's got a good job. He's got a nice house in the suburbs. He's got a beautiful wife and a beautiful daughter. And then his daughter is radicalised um, by the weathermen and um, plants bombs and things like this. And then he finds, and when that's happening, he finds out his wife's having an affair. And uh, it all falls to pieces and uh, becomes an alcoholic, you know. And so Nathan Zuckerman tells his story. And Philip Roth is not quite as simple as, when I say simple, his writing is not as simple as say as Orwell or Asimov, someone like that, he uses big words occasionally and I have to, you know, you have to look up the odd one or two. But his, sto his story writing is beautiful and his, his history of, the, of the, the Jewish experience in modern America is just fantastic. Other books by him which have read, the great American novel is, is just fantastic. Uh, Operation Shylock. All of them, they're all great, but American Pastoral blew me away when I read it. And it's its kind of, it's insightful and it's its tragic. It's marvellous. It's great. So Philip Roth, American Pastoral. Finally. So yeah, finally. Bottom, bottom of the pile. Well, this is the one I'm reading at the moment. I bought this because I thought it was a spy novel. And um, it's called A Gentleman in Moscow by Amor Towles, who I'd never heard of. But he's the best-selling author of Rules of Civility, and so I had a Google of that, and people say that was really good, and they were all expecting the worst because he's—I I think he's like a kind of posh American kind of guy who everybody thought was a bit of a right-wing lunatic or something, you know. But it turns out that he's a—he's a very, um, very good writer. This—this this is set in Moscow in uh, 1922, and it tells the story of uh, Count Alexander Rastov, who. Because he's a count, because he's, he's of blue blood, he's, he's royal. The, the Bolsheviks, of course, are unhappy with him, and he lives in a hotel in Moscow, and he's taken for trial, and he's found guilty of being what he is. Uh, now, because he's well connected, they they don't banish him to a gulag. They banish him to like the, the crappy room in the hotel. So he's upstairs in the hotel. But you know, of course, he gets on with it. Of course, a stiff upper lip of the Russian aristocrat. Um, I'm only like a third of the way through, but his life opens up in ways he, he, he was not 
expecting when he meets people who teach him life lessons that um you know Ethan knew everything he's, he's an old guy you know and it's really elegant and it's it's charming it's it's a really enjoyable tale and i don't quite know where it's going there's little clues that uh he, i think he ends up living in the hotel for 30 years or something while the re the revolution and Stalin's madness goes on and all the rest of it, so I don't know what's what what's going to happen, but it's a wonderful book and it reminds me of the Shadow of the Wind by Carlos Ruiz Zafón, which is uh, is a book about a cemetery of forgotten books, basically a second-hand bookshop, and um, as it says here, it's a labyrinth, and a man takes his son, his ten-year-old son, into the bookshop, and he's allowed to choose one book. And um, he pulls a book out called The Shadow of the Wind. And um, it, it leads to, well, it just leads to magic and, and to frightening stuff as well. And, and the, I think The Shadow of the Wind is set during the uh, Spanish Civil War. And that was another time of upheaval. And um, gentlemen in Moscow set in, uh, you know, just as the Russian Revolution, the Bolshevik Revolution in Russia and the Soviet Union is bubbling away nicely and people are suddenly going... Well, you know all those things we said that we do. Did you notice that we also said at the bottom, not if we don't want to, uh, is becoming apparent. And so it's about, it's just, a bit, it's just kind of life affirming books at times when it would appear that there's nothing life affirming, you know. And that's why I love them. And I love fiction that can not just kind of take you away from whatever woes that you've got there, but can kind of make you think and make you feel grateful for who you know, for the life you have, and also give you ideas for how your life could end up, you know, or could become. Well, we're all going one way, aren't we? Yes. So we're going to end up there anyway, regardless. But you know, but while we're while we're doing that, while we're doing whatever we do on this planet, that these books give you ideas as to how you might want to do things, you know. So there you go. They're my books. So do you think there's something that other than you know you've got several books there? books about books, books about uh, bookshops and booksellers. Mm. But uh, other themes that, that run throughout them, uh, there seems to be, particularly you know, with, with the George Orwell and, you know, obviously with uh, Gore Vidal, but also with, with Isaac Asimov, even though he, you know, he was considered science fiction, there seems to be like this, this grain that runs through them of like speaking a truth. Yeah, I think so. I think, I think, that's, I think that is true. I don't think I deliberately look for that trait in, in a book. But I think when I find it, and I find a writer who does that, I follow the writer just like I used to follow bands, you know what I mean? Uh, and groups and songwriters, you know? Well, I still do that, but I think, yeah, but I think you're right there. I hadn't quite thought of it like that, but I do like there to be a point to it. You know, I, I, have, I have written, I have read, uh, uh, you know, complete garbage and kind of enjoyed it whatever garbage is. I don't want to name any books because people might really like them and something that connects with them might be in that book. Um, I just, just like people reading. But I do think that there's something in there which is compassionate and angry. <laughs> and there's a compassion and an anger running through all of them, I think. Uh, I don't think it's an anger that goes around kicking things in. So maybe it's more a disappointed anger. But there's an idea that we can be better. I suppose it does go through them, and I, and, I, and that's what I think. Even though I'm a, a curmudgeon and a, a ranty kind of idiot, I do I do genuinely believe that we we can 
uh, and we might be able to do better at whatever it is that life's about, you know. Well, that's a, a beautiful thought to, uh, to bring things to a close. So uh, thank you for talking us through those books uh, today. If you want to find out more about George Street Community Bookshop, what's happening, and maybe even get involved yourself, uh, we're on Twitter and Facebook. Just search for us on there. Thanks for listening to In the Bookshop. In the Bookshop, the George Street Community Bookshop podcast for book lovers everywhere. <laughs>